And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. All right, welcome everyone to a weighing in podcast. We got podcast days on the controls. Josh Thompson, the man, the myth, the legend, the real punk, and me, John McCarthy here, hoping that you enjoy our show that we're going to put on right now because you know what? We are entertaining and we are sharp. At least that's what I'm going to say. You can catch us on Google Play, YouTube, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and all kinds of other things. And if you want to get one of our t-shirts, Go to ProWrestlingTees.com, weighing in. I think there's a slash in there for weighing in. And you can get 20% off right now with the code podcast on all of our tees. So check that out for us. Joshua, what's up? You guys don't want to excuse me. I'm extremely exhausted. I'm just tired. I'm just, it's, it's been one of those days. It's, you know. But hey, I want to tell you real quick and also podcast Dave, Happy Father's Day, you guys. Yeah, happy Father's Day to everyone. Yeah. That's, that is true. And you're a father, and so happy Father's Day, John. I happy indeed. Father's Day, Dave. Podcast Dave with like 15 kids, you know, male or bride, <laughs> just like doing his thing, man. I, I love it. I love Podcast Dave. I mean, but we, you have like what, four or five more kids on the way, male order kids, that kind of I, thing? I think my son's going to be the man of the house pretty soon, to be honest. He's, of course he is. He's, with... he's almost as tall as you already. Of course he's going to be the half. man of the house. Your wife's going to kick you out of there. <laughs> If you guys don't follow Podcast Dave on his uh, IG, you guys got to go to his IG and you guys will see. He tries to be the man of the house, but all he does is fall around ladders, the couch, all these other things. <laughs> I swear. I swear. She she actually does. Like, she mows the lawn. And she actually like she obviously like, well, they have a maid now, but <laughs> she, she mows the lawn. She takes care of all the electrical. She does everything. Podcast sure? Dave doesn't do anything. Really, realistically, he doesn't do anything. But anyways, hey. he does try to kill himself on ladders and stuff. I, I love it. That. I love it. You guys, you guys are hilarious. You guys are absolutely hilarious. <laughs> this guy especially is hilarious because we like to poke fun at him, but it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to actually be around. Gosh, sometimes I'm going to strangle him, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, he's like a little brother. A little um, strangle, little hug. It's okay. Yeah. All right. So what'd you think? Yeah. You know, there was a couple of good fights. There, there was an outstanding fight in there. And there were some really good fights in the prelims. I thought the Tisha Torres, yeah. uh, Brianna Van Buren fight, it was actually really a good fight. A lot of action. Brianna trying to do what she does. Tisha overcoming a lot of that grappling and then even bringing in her own. I thought it was a, a good fight. Really good performance by Tisha. I thought she definitely deserved the win. Too much too soon. What were they doing? Like, I, Look, Brianna, Brianna trains at AK. <laughs> when they said that she was fighting Tisha Torres, I was like, why? Like, too much too soon i i, I get it yeah. i understand and i was like oh I, here's the thing i am such a tisha torres fan and only because i have a like one of those uh one of those kind of like crushes on her because to me she's extremely sexy so it's one of those it's, uh, seriously i mean careful rocky my, pennington's gonna uh, knock you out hey uh, you know what i might take one on the chin <laughs> to actually get around tisha torres i've never <laughs> met her like personally in terms of there you go. but she is Every little bit of energy I've ever seen from her on camera, the way she fights, I actually, I love it. I love everything about her, the way she fights, the way, the way she does everything. And I have that little, like, kind of like that little crush on her and, you know, anyways, but I just felt like for Brianna, it was too much. And Brianna, I kind of like an old man crush. 
<laughs> Probably yes. So, <laughs> when you when you put it that way, it's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of gross. I mean, honestly, I mean, but when they said that Brianna was finer, and, and I've trained with Brianna since she was, I want to say she was like 17, 18, 16, 17, 18 years old. She's trained AK, she trained ant dogs down in Gilroy. I've been around her since she was a young, young kid. So I was like, why? This this is too much, too fast for you. And I know you're good. I know you're good on the ground. I know you have good She's wrestling. She's been fighting for a it, while. Man. You're right. She has, but no, not at that level. It's not well, at that level. There's a difference. There's a difference in the actual levels yeah. of who they who each fighter has faced. And so I, I understand your concern with that. But you know, you got you gotta take that step. You know, you, you gotta take that shot. You're given that chance. Yeah. You gotta take the shot. Yeah. I mean I don't I, blame her. I agree with like, hey, you have to take a shot. I I agree with all that. I just ah, that's that was a nasty fight for her. Not not a good fight for her. The, it, I felt like if she wasn't able to get the takedown like right off the bat, the fight was not going to go her way, and that's kind of how it all panned out. And yeah. it just it was one of those fights. Was you want the best for her, but I just knew yeah. what she was walking into, and I'm like the the level of um people that you've beaten, the level of people you've competed against, the, the level even honestly, I'm gonna be honest. AK does not have a lot of tough, tough girls. I mean, we just acquired uh, Cynthia Cavillo, but they're I was different. She's pretty tough. But yeah. they're, but they're That's different, the one I was going to go to. They're different weight brackets. Yeah. No, yeah. we're talking, you know, they're 10 pounds. But when you Cynthia see the two of them side by yeah. side, Cynthia they are not the fight. same. Cynthia used to fight straw weight. She had, she had a hard time making that weight. So that's yeah. why she's up at flyweight and had a great performance against Jessica I. But seriously, you know, Cynthia. That's that, you know, she, no, I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm just simply saying like with Brianna, it was a lot for her to take on. And I I didn't see the fight going her way, regardless of how today ended up turning out. But I, I, when I looked at the fight, when I was watching the fight all pan out, I was like, this is exactly what I was afraid of. Was not able to get the takedown, was getting dominated, like on the feet, just the speed, the factor. It, It was, it was a lot. I felt like it was too much too soon, but I go back to, we're in this COVID like state. Are we trying to get rid of fighters to thin out our thing, you know, to thin, to, to thin out our roster to, to you know, whatever it is, like save money. And, and I there I couldn't think of any other way or any other reason why those two would be fighting so soon, so fast. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but I also look at it too. Like, there's not a lot of top top. There's, there's, there's not a big bracket for that weight division. So you're either all in or you're all out. And, and we, I've talked to some of the guys at, um, with Bellator like, at 135. Once you sign with Bellator at 135, your ball's deep. It doesn't, even for the males, your ball's deep in it. Like, hey, you have one fight, maybe a tuna fight, but you're in it. You're like basically like three or four guys. You're, you're fighting the top three, top four, top five guys because there's not a lot of guys in that weight bracket. So you're all the way in. And I, I kind of feel like that's where she was at for this fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's a big loss for her. I mean I obviously she wanted to win. Yeah. But in in losing that fight, I think she might have ended up gaining more with the experience. I think she learned a lot from it. You know, and to to say, hey, I went the three rounds with her. Yes, I got I I lost on the judges' scorecards, but I was in there the whole time. She couldn't get rid of me and I was fighting the whole time. So good job. Yeah. Gotcha. Bobby Green against Clay Guida, I enjoyed that one too. This, uh, Clay Guida is amazing too. He just keeps on trucking, man. <laughs> you know, and I've known Bobby for a long time. And Bobby, Bobby's got that style of his hands down around his toes. Yeah, you know, you know, but it, hey, 
he's fast and he was he was just looking to counter the whole time he did a great job of out wrestling clay because clay's got that grinding wrestling style i mean he is just perpetual motion forward once he gets into you he's always trying to get head high to get on top just doing beautiful work bobby did a lot of nice things to stop everything that clay was doing that was a good fight in itself and then i want to give credit to jim miller you know they didn't give him enough credit for the setup that he did on that arm bar yeah because he sucked him in dude you could see it he turned went and just let him try to come out on it there you could see him set up the armbar. I was like, that was very sweet. That was a smart move. You took a, an athletic young fighter and you taught him a lesson by a veteran saying, oh, yep, you think you're going to come out on top and I'm setting you up for getting a submission. And he did a great job. So congratulations to Jim Miller on that one. I enjoyed that one. Old dogs, new tricks. Kind of like, it's like one yep. of those, you know, it's, they just like, they work whatever they, they're comfortable with. They wait for you to do something. They they don't try to go. They don't try to hunt. They just wait for you to make a mistake, and they're there. The thing with Jim Miller, right, is that people will continue to underestimate him because, especially right now in his career, because he's older. He's been around for a long time. People are writing him off, and he will continue to fight these younger guys that are trying to get up, like thinking he's thinking he's a gatekeeper. Thirty-five fights in the UFC. That's crazy. Thirty-five. That's crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of fights. You know, I mean, and so he is just one of those guys that he will always be, I think, in that echelon of like maybe the top 15 somewhere in there where the younger guys, they're going to use him as a gatekeeper, which the UFC is smart to do because of the age bracket, because you're not going to be the champion. But let's try to make let's try to build somebody off of your name. It sucks because you're that's where you're at, you know, and I, yeah, I, it, it is what it is. I mean, I feel like you're the, a couple, yeah. you're the old lion with yeah. the health up on the wall that everyone's trying to take. Yeah, you know, so, but I mean, like, Wait. he's so talented. He's so good. It's just the moment's come and gone, but he's doing it for money. He's doing it for whatever reasons he wants to do it for. He loves it, whatever it is. But I, yeah, I don't see another title run in his, in his lifespan, but I enjoy, I still enjoy watching him fight. I, th- I agree with you. I thought the setup was spectacular. Yeah. I thought the Shane Burgos, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping all the way. Ra- Raquel Pennington, very nice fight. She deserved that win. But I'm going to the Shane Burgos-Josh Emmett fight. What a fight. Dude, that was good. It was fun. And I cannot believe, and I, I've watched Josh, you know, I, I, I've watched Josh before he was in the UFC, so I know exactly, you know, what he can do. You know, and he's got his two losses, and Burgos had one loss coming to this. And, man, I'll tell you what. Josh throws hard for three rounds. He's putting everything on those shots, but he doesn't get tired. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he hurt, hurt his knee in the beginning of that fight, bit down. He hit Burgos with some monster shots, you know, and Shane just kept coming forward, man. That was a good fight, tough fight. Both guys deserved a win off of it. I, obviously, Emmett wins. He deserved to win, especially off of that third round. I thought that going into the third round, I had it even. But um, I was really impressed by Burgos. Yeah, the first knockdown, it was a balance issue. Yeah. It wasn't a knockdown where he got hurt. So yeah. people were saying something. And I don't agree with the 10-8 round. That's the one scorecard. That was a 10-9 round. You know, it's a, it's a wide margin because the second one that he put him down with, that one hurt him. That mm-hmm. was a big shot. That one did damage. 
but really an incredible fight by both guys. You know, that's the ones where you don't want to see anybody lose. Someone's got to, that's okay. But really they were talking about, you know, fight of the year. That was up there. That was a good fight. I wouldn't go that far. I thought it was a great fight. I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was a great fight. I thought it was a great fight. Fight of the year. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on yet. Hey, over here at Podcast Davis, and I said, oh, Emmett's my boy. Emmett's Emmett. I think he's met Emmett like maybe one time for like 30 seconds. <laughs> You're so dumb, man. He's one of those guys. He's one of those fanboys, like a WWE guy. Anyway, so I thought it was a spectacular fight. And I, that was one of the questions I want to ask you. Like, how'd you go? How'd you have it going into the third? I had it 1-1. I had it 1-1. I thought it was close, but I had it 1-1. And I felt like Emmett had to do something like legit to win the third round. Because in the second round, he was getting hit with some clean shots. I felt like he was potentially sh- slowing down. And yeah, I was like, that oh. momentum but then, looked like it changed. But then in the third, he picked it back up. I was like, oh, wow, he's not tired. He's throwing the heat. And when he landed some clean, clean shots, it was able to get the, the knockdown. I was like, oh, wow, wow, here we go. So I felt in that moment, I was like, oh, for sure, obviously, he was one in the third. But I, I was concerned on how people were judging the fight because I had a group of people here watching the fights uh, at my gym. And they were like, oh, I think it's uh, – Two zero Emmett. I'm like, ah, oh, I think it's one one going in the third. So yeah, I had it. I had it one one going in the third. I just wanted to ask you about the judging and what you thought. And uh, I, I felt like Emmett came out and delivered. He had to do that to win the round, and he had to do that to win the fight. I thought it was a great fight, absolutely yeah. phenomenal fight. I'm not ready to stroke it up as fight of the year yet, but I mean, I'm ready to stroke it up. There is it. it it's in the. It's it was in the, good. It's in the conversation. Yeah, it's in the conversation. Yeah. Well, I just uh, voted for all the fight of the years that are going to be on so the did I. Award, so did so, I. Okay, so yes, I, I got did. my list in there, and I'm not saying that you know, next year that one might be on there. I'm telling you. But it was a little weird because this year it was like we had to fill in the COVID year part of it too because yeah, so they, they fed in some of the, the fights. It wasn't from just last year. It was like a little bit of this COVID era kind of thing. So anyways, um, I would love to ask you about that to see who you voted for, but we'll we'll wait. <laughs> But it was, uh, I mean, there were some really spectacular fights this year. I mean, oh, last yeah. year, this year, in between January to this year was phenomenal fights. And so, and some of those fights just stole my heart and I, I absolutely loved them. You know, from the UFC, some of, a lot of the UFC fights, some of the Bellator oh, yeah. fights, even some of the one fights, they were all included. Uh, I had a couple in the PFL that I, I actually went to and I actually thought they were phenomenal, just phenomenal fights across the board. So um what else what uh, so to go back to sports, sports getting better and better to go back to the raquel pennington fight i know you we kind of we kind of we, we, we kind of grazed over. over it a little bit or glossed it, yeah but here's the thing do not fight on the same card as your significant other your wife your <laughs> i do not care sure you guys both came out with wins do not do that i just it just it, it it concerns me the whole issue with why yeah, why because your focus really I feel I feel like this like here's the thing with Raquel she I feel like she should be the bully in fights and tonight she wasn't she was she kind of got bullied around a little bit and, and even though she landed she landed some good oh. shot there was times she got turned and I'm like some of the knees you should not be get yeah Ooh. shoot nasty Ooh. but. You could say what you want, but the fight was a lot. I felt like the fight was pretty close. I think one of the judges had a 30-27, though. Yeah, I think I, I think I had the first round going to. Uh, 
Yeah, set, right. yeah. I, I had a twenty nine, twenty eight, but it was yeah. they were still they were it, they were tough. Yeah, I, I, for sure, I thought so too. But there wasn't anything that Raquel did that was extremely dominant. She had the dominant, like some good knees, some good elbows, some good. Oh, the clinch work was nasty. Was she beautiful. did. She did what I thought was great. I just feel like when you when the two of you guys are on the same card. Something there, there. You potentially, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but something I've always felt like when DC was on the same car as me or Fitch was on the same car as me is you have you're splitting coaches. Your coaches are still the same coaches, so your coach is not fully yeah. geared into you in the back, warming up, hitting mitts, talking the game plan, or just being around you and focused on you. Because guess what? Two fights, three fights before they're gone. They're out there and they're warming up your your partner, your your friend, your partner. I always, even though I loved fighting on the same card as some of my teammates, I still tried to fight on the cards that had the least amount of my teammates on it. It, it. Maybe it's selfish, call it what you want, but it came down to the fact that when you're in the back and you have six of us all in one locker room, we're all getting warmed up with the same guy, you know, and the same person, the same grappling coach, same mitt person, and they're gone every other fight. You're not really getting that connection, that vibe. That it's about you. It's about go out there. Get, it's it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Well, you talk, hold on, hold on. I, 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 I could I be wrong, but I could I be wrong. I gotta call you on this. Okay? You go ahead. I'm not saying you're wrong about everybody's different. Yes. And it seems that Tisha and Raquel really enjoyed it. Yeah. And we've seen husband and wives do this before, and it's like. I think it's just a personal thing. But when you're sitting there saying that you like to fight on cards that didn't have a lot of AKA guys, there weren't any when you were fighting in Strike Force. They were full of AKA. They were. So exactly. What are you talking about? No, yeah. Exactly. I agree with you. I agree with you. But there was also like segments of where DC, sure, he got warmed up by Javier, but he also got, I was usually like more towards the main card. DC, not until later did he get to the main cards. Um, Whoever else, like Luke, Luke was pretty oh much God, like you had Luke, you, you had Luke, we had Luke fighting, we had DC, we had, we had fighting. Kane, Kane had also. So I mean, we had a lot of guys, but when it came to the big San Jose shows, we very rarely were all on that show because, I mean, to be honest, I sold the most tickets for San Jose, so I was always on a San Jose show. Those guys fought in other places, you know, so they weren't always in the San Jose show. I always was in San Jose because I sold a shitload of tickets there. So, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I just, for me, when I look at it from, of course, they're going to celebrate today. Oh yeah. We both, because they both won. They both won. Had they both not won. Like, I think we'd be hearing a different tune. Like, yeah, maybe next time you go, maybe I'll fight the week after. I'm just simply saying See, I, it's I've one thing afterwards to celebrate. We both won. Of course. Yeah. I've always looked at it. It's easy for the person that goes first. It's hard on the person that goes last. Yeah. Because the person that goes first, you're going out doing your thing. Everything is normal. And then if you win, that actually helps the person in the back. Cause now they're happy and they're feeling good. And they're, they're energized by the fact that you got that win. But if you don't win, yeah, then there's that little bit of a letdown and there's that, Oh man, they're feeling bad for you. And that kind of puts them in a position where they're not keyed in the same way. So, I do think it can have effect like you're saying. Yeah. And it just depends on the person, you know, and the, the, the people that are going to do it. But, you know, every, everybody handles things different. Some people like to do it. Some people don't. It's just I mean, personal preference. Here's the thing. Had Tisha walked back 
just busted up, bloodied up, got destroyed. I think we would have seen a different Raquel Pennington go out there. I mean, like she'll still be who she is as a fighter, but yeah. the mentality, the personality, all those things. I mean, I, I, just from a fighter's point of view, I guess maybe I'm just from being selfish, being like that person. Yeah, there you go in the back, and, and I'm admitting <laughs> I, I'm 100 admitting the fact that like I understood at the time you have to be selfish. Being being a fighter is a selfish sport. You have to be. You have to be selfish. And I love the fact they were able to do it tonight, and they were both able to get wins, even if it was against an AK person. But I actually, I wouldn't recommend it going forward. That's the thing. So that, that's just me. It is what it is. Um the the main event. What'd you think? It was exactly like I thought. Yeah. You know, they kept they kept trying to push this whole thing that Volkov has such great takedown defense, the best takedown defense in the heavyweight division. I'm like. He doesn't have good takedown defense. Okay, I'm sorry. I you know, I refereed him too many uh, times. He just doesn't. He's big and lanky, and he he usually tries to fight you know with his legs splayed a little bit, but he's still real long and yeah. tall. And I knew that I knew that you know Curtis was going to be able to take him down. And the real question was, what was he going to be able to do once he took him down? Yeah. How much damage was he going to be able to inflict on him? And how easy what did that takedown come? Did it? Did he have to really work for it hard, or did it just happen? And basically, you know, he took him. Well, he set a UFC record for takedowns, breaking Cain Velasquez's record. Wow! You know, so you know, it was. Uh, I, I I give uh, Volkov credit. He's a tough guy. He's got no quit in him. Blades got tired. You know, all that wrestling, and you know, he got tired in it. But you got to look. You're taking a guy down that many times. You're putting some energy out. But it it it. it it went the way I thought. I thought that Blaze would end up winning the fight. That's who I picked for the fight. So, but it was, you know, yeah, I want to say it was a good fight. It was okay. It was okay. And it, it's a good stepping stone building block for Curtis Blades to move on in the heavyweight division. Let's yeah. see what he can do from there. Yeah. It, it, to on top of whatever you said, like it, it simply is like they just the same fight that we thought it was going to be. Yeah, takedowns. If someone can't stop the takedowns, we're gonna get what we got. We got someone on top. Just not. A, he was doing the work, but it wasn't enough to like, ooh, oh, excite people. But it did get a little bit interesting towards the end there because he was struggling he was to get the. Tired. Yeah, he was getting tired. The best part I felt like the of not, not the fight part, but the best part was the post fight interview. Did you see him? Curtis <laughs> Blades after trying to do the interview. Oh, oh man, oh, it was. It was it was so much stronger. It was so much harder to take down. I th I, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was extremely hilarious. But but I mean I understand why he was. But he was exhausted. He was, he was struggling to do his post fight his post fight interview. It was so much fun to watch. And that's just me as a fighter because I've been through that where you're just like, gosh man, this fight was not supposed to go this way. How the fuck did I end up here? Why am I so tired? I was thinking the same thing when I fought KJ News. I was like. It should have been so much easier to hold down and take down. Why am I so tired? I just gassed the shit out of myself going in the third round. He, I felt like he was in the same boat. He did the post fighter. You look at his face. He was like, oh. He's hurt, man. he was, he was this. He, he looked horrible. But hey, the W is the W. Moves on to the next. I mean, realistically, I feel like you can't you can't deny the guy from a title shot much longer. I mean, you haven't gone obviously. I feel like ahead of him. You have DC Stipe, you've got a Garu. Um, who else outside of that, I think, is ahead of him? He's right there. He's right there. Right, like he, right in that next step. Yeah, he's right there. Anyways, I mean, um, 
I, I've always said this, when you get to the heavyweight division, if you have a guy that can wrestle a tad bit, they're going to be probably far superior than the majority of the people that are in the heavyweight division. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm going to go back to last week because I just got shit stormed in the comment section. And I'm going to tell all you guys, you guys are all fucking stupid. Okay. Because I'm going to be a hundred percent honest when it comes <laughs> down to this. Look, Stipe may have been a good wrestler. Stipe may have been a good baseball player. Stipe may have been drafted by whatever and whoever. What my point was, when you want to care, when you want to compare athleticism between the two, DC is the better athlete. Even at 41 years old, he is the better athlete. At 41 years old, can do still do a standing backflip. I would love to see Stipe do that. I would love to. I'll wait, you guys. Go ahead, send me videos, please. Hold on, hold By on. By the way, I, here, I got a question. Just a little question. I got murdered in the comments. What section. does a backflip have to do with fighting? It, I mean, honestly, oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Maybe it, it doesn't. Nothing maybe it to do doesn't. With My simple thing was you know, that you know how many athletically, Couture do two-time Olympian versus someone who barely got to uh, who got to Division One uh, baseball and wrestling. Is that what we're talking about? Care. A two-time Olympian. Talking I'm talking about, about who was the better. You're that right. Doesn't matter. Who and was the Steve better athlete? Is a very good athlete. I'm, here's the thing. There's a misconception between. I said I didn't say he wasn't a good athlete. <laughs> I said that DC was the better athlete. Who okay, is the better athlete? Is. Who's the better athlete? Maybe DC is two-time Olympian. Two-time Olympian. DC You're going to change something when coming into that you next stop, fight because stop. I don't care what kind of athlete he is. Stop stroking He's the comment section. Guy. These guys, I'm stop stroking the comment section. I look at. Stop. I look at you guys at home. At if happened. you if you guys are at home, no matter. DC between no matter. the two, better athlete. Don't in argue with me. I'm right. In the second fight, don't argue with me. Stepe Miocic had to learn how to stop the clinch work of mm -hmm. DC. You're right. You're right. And hold on, hold on. In the in the second fight, he had to learn how to do that. And then he gets second fight happens, and he in the first round he doesn't stop anything, but he just takes things on, and he just it's okay that I'm getting beat. It's okay, and he figured out a way to beat DC. And so now DC coming back, he's got his one win, and Stipe's got his one win. But DC's the guy, no matter what you want to say, you know it's true. DC's the guy that has to figure out how to stop what beat him in that second fight. I never denied that. The, okay. whole, the, the whole conversation started with, there's a lot of a things. That, athlete? No, it did not. It started with the <laughs> fact that, no, it started with the fact that I really thought, I'm like, I'm concerned about the age gap. The age gap is that he you is turning the, which you should, the inactivity. It started with that be. conversation. The weight gain, you should the be. weight gain, the all those things. But when we're talking straight athleticism, even at 41 years old, whatever it is, he is a better athlete than Stipe. Now, the age concerns me because that actually makes the athleticism go away a little bit. He is it still the gap if there is exactly, a but he is still the better athlete, even at 41 years old. You're I don't care. Who I don't care who you are. You are not going to tell me a two-time Olympian, two-time Olympian is not a better athlete than someone that played baseball and wrestled in, in high school or whatever it was. I could give two shits. Okay, there's, oh, oh, there's nothing oh, that anybody in the comments is going to tell me. And I'm not being a homer. I'm giving you guys the truth. And you're talking. Oh, no. You're, you're sitting there. You're telling me a two-time You guys, I'm, I'm already annoyed. Okay. I'm already annoyed. You guys someone, seem mad at me. I'm already annoyed. wins a gold medal in ice curling, that mm. makes him a great athlete? We're talking about curling. You're talking about practice. You're curling. You're practice. talking about an Olympic yeah. athlete. 
You're you're comparing wrestling to curling. Get the fuck out of here right now. Seriously, Big John, I love you, but get the get that shit out of here. Curling and fucking wrestling. I'm gonna, oh, you know what? Off of this Olympic you know, athlete stuff. I'm gonna call Kevin There's Jackson. A lot of Olympic Tom. athletes that have bellies, man. They ain't athletes at all. I'm gonna call fucking. Kevin Jackson and DC and all these guys. Are, hey, now, he just compared Kevin, wrestling. He just Kevin's compared my man, dude. Don't do it. Ran against tour. He just compared <laughs> wrestling to curling. That's your uh, boy. He's your <laughs> Randy Couture is be mad at you. I'm gonna actually send oh, this podcast, Dave. I want this clip right here where he tried to compare <laughs> curling and wrestling in the same sentence. No, 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 no. I didn't no, 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 no. You did. You did. You Olympic did. Athlete. No. An Olympic athlete is better than any athlete. We're yeah. talking about a wrestling Olympic athlete. I will athlete. say that an Olympic wrestling athlete is with a that phenomenal athlete. I love you at all, but get out of here with that nonsense. Get <laughs> out of here. Come up, John. Get out of here. Up. Get out of here with that yeah. nonsense. Look, um, uh, heavyweight, I, I feel like, I mean. Look at Blaze. Right won, there, Bla Blaze, Bla won, Blaze won. won that first round 10-8. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, He's, really? You had a 10-8? Oh, definitely. Dominated. Okay. okay. Dominated for a long duration. What offense did Volkov have? I I, didn't, I felt like there was Zero. not a whole lot of extreme damage done. That's the only reason. Was Yeah, you're right. You're right. There was. But he did dominate. There wasn't the whole real thing. damage. But you go off of was there domination? Yes, yes. there was domination. Yeah. And was there a duration of it? Yes, yes. there was a long yeah. duration of it. That was yeah. so much duration that I'm going to give it a ten eight. Yeah, yeah we, we have to. We have to. I think I really feel like we have to sit down with our fans, not just people that follow us uh, as far as on YouTube and all the other uh, platforms. We have to sit down and say like, hey. This is how because you would obviously oh. know way more than well, I would. the first because I, I gave it a ten nine. I gave it a ten nine. First people that should sit down and learn how to judge a fight are Dominic Cruz and Michael Bisping because they got no freaking clue. I'm just telling you straight out. It's like I'm, I'm going. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna let that one be. That's all <laughs> you. They were dog. going off. Of the, <laughs> it, it was a good fight. Bilal Muhammad was fighting you know yeah. uh, Lyman Good, and it was a good fight. And they have the one part where, look at Lyman Good is lighting up Bilal Muhammad in the yeah. third round throughout it, and he gets his back, and he never sinks in the choke. And they're going, I think that took the. It's like, are you high? Yeah. And you can see that every judge gave that round to Lyman Good. Yeah. How did you have that? Actually, that was another fight. I'm sorry, I completely skipped over. How did you have that fight? I had that exactly like the judges. Yeah. I had Bilal Muhammad winning the first two rounds, and Lyman Good won. And it was close. The yeah, second was. round was close. Yeah. First round was easy. Bilal Muhammad won it. Yeah. Second round is really close. And there was a moment, that head kick that Bilal Muhammad hit him with. Yeah. That was a big difference maker in that second round, even though that there was a portion where it looked like Bilal got hurt too. So that was a tight round. And then the third round went to Lyman. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I kind of right. I, I, I agree. Anyways. But we, I feel like we need to have a conversation, or I don't know what it is. Let's do like it. We have to have a conversation based on what a 10 8 round is. Because for oh. me, honestly, I, I didn't have 10 8 for the first round. I had a 10 9. I was like, eh, there wasn't a whole lot of damage. It was like, sure, you dominated, you controlled, you did all the things. But I was like, eh, it, I feel like it's just it's a 10 9 round, a normal round. So it, it's okay. How, how could it be a normal round? I want you to think about this mm -hmm. when you've got one fighter. Because in MMA, everything is offensive. We give no credit to defensive action. So yeah, you go to true. take me down. I stop the takedown. Yeah. You get credit at least for trying to take down. But 
I don't get anything for stopping it. That's true. It's if That's I true. stop it and I, I hit a shot off of it, I get something for the shot. So when you have a fighter that had zero offensive output for five minutes, yeah, yeah, because Volkov didn't have any yeah. offense and Curtis is hitting him with knees, little shots, but he's dominating the position. He's got good position, dominant position, and he is hitting him with those little shots, and there's no offense coming from the other. Hey, man, you're going to lose that 10-8 yeah. every time. So you guys at home listening to this on like YouTube or whatever, like Spotify, iTunes, all those things, I want you guys to understand one of the biggest reasons that I approached Sean about, hey, let's do a show together is because from a fighter's perspective, I was like, eh, I get a 10-9, maybe not a 10-8, but this, this to me is honestly, I'm being honest with you. I've had many of conversations in the last week about everyone talking to me about, hey, like, uh, you know, like, how did you guys get together? What's I said, because I have had many times where we've sat down at restaurants and had conversations and your perspective on the judging, not just the judging, the, the refing, the judging, all these things, it makes me look from a different point of view and I have to be more open-minded, not just about fighting. I'm open-minded about a, a lot of other things from when I sat down with Joe Rogan, when I sit down with you and talk, there's a lot of things that you, people should be, people should start opening their mind to when it comes to this. And I, a hundred percent, this is why I think you and I, I'd love to call you out on a bunch of shit because, this, but it's fun <laughs> to me. It's fun. I enjoy this because it is, it's all I'm, good. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to fighting. I'm addicted to I agree, just you're being in your, I am addicted to you because you know, sometimes you're lazy and don't do your job. But anyways, we get into this, but the bottom line is I love hearing your take on it because your take is different because you have the ref, the the judging, you have the behind the scenes from the old school UFC to the new rev, like to the newer fights, and just from all promotions perspective, from Russia perspective to Japan to here, it just makes me feel good. Understand, like, hey, and we're gonna get into this a little bit later, but it's just the perspective from the earlier UFC days to the Joe Silva days, which we'll get into later, Ooh. and all this other stuff. It it makes me feel good knowing that I can come to you and be like, hey. What's your take on this? My feeling on this is different than what your feeling is. And so this is why when we started doing this show, we wanted everyone to understand, like we're bringing two different perspectives. I have the fighter perspective. He has the whole from the beginning of the sport perspective. And I love it. I love hearing the things that you have to offer. Appreciate that, brother. I want your perspective on this because I know the true story of how things actually got there. But you had to deal with, if you've seen all of the talk about Joe Silva, Joe Silva is taking some heat right now. Okay. Joe Silva has been, he was beaten up by Gray Maynard and Eddie Alvarez and, and uh, some John Fitch, you know, some guys going after him. What did you think, man? Did you see it? Let me ask you this. Are these old, bitter <laughs> fighters being upset? Yeah, they're the old, way they bitter end? fighters, but it doesn't I, mean I'm simply wrong. asking. I'm simply asking. Are, are they old, bitter <laughs> fighters? And look, you guys, I can't. Here's the thing is my perspective will always be different from those guys. And the reason why is because when people, when everyone wants to criticize like Josh, you know, like you were never in the UFC, you were in the UFC for a little bit, like all this other shit. Guess what? Because I actually knew what my worth was and we came down to negotiations. I had these conversations forever. I didn't care because I was in the UFC from 2000, 2000, 2001 until 2004, whatever it was. I didn't care to go back. I didn't care. I had already been there. And a lot of these guys hadn't been there. So Eddie, when he yeah. went and go ahead. There, 
I want you to think about this. When you first went to the UFC back in 2001. I signed with them in 2000, but then I went, I fought for them in 2001. 2001. Yeah. I recall Joe, Joe Silva didn't want you. No, he hated me. Didn't okay. like me at all. He, and he actually kind of told you that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Okay. Tell me, all right. So you're okay with it. So here's the thing. I fought Kid Yamamoto in Hawaii on Sean Shelby and his ex-wife. It, there was, it was their promotion. It was called Shogun in Hawaii. I took the fight on two weeks notice. I was walking around about 170. They called me because a guy that, a guy named Philip Perez was supposed to fight uh, Kid Yamamoto. He ended up getting knocked out holding pads for someone in fucking Fresno. Dummy. Anyways, one of my friends, but I'm just <laughs> simply saying, like, why are you holding pads for someone that obviously doesn't know how to kick, knocks you out? Anyways, two weeks for your fight. I take the fight on short notice, fill in. I have to cut from 170 to 143. I make 143 to fight Kid Yamamoto. I'm starving myself. Kids like walking around eating. I want to strangle him just because of that. Anyways, I make the weight. <laughs> we fight on this show. <clears throat> I think a lot of people already know. Uh, first round, I give it to Kid. Kid beat me in the first round. But it was more of like, take me down, let me up because he couldn't hold me down. That's kind of the situation that we were in. But I was throwing everything at him, the kitchen sink. Uh, second round, I was putting on him. He started looking, he started looking like he was getting a little bit tired. And I threw an inside leg kick, kicked him in the cup, broke his cup, couldn't continue. So Dana hit me up afterwards. You're signed. We Dana signed a ton of guys from that card. Robbie Lawler, myself. I want to say uh, Dwayne or Eves. One of those guys ended up getting signed. Eves Edwards. Yeah, Cabbage. Cabbage got signed. There was a bunch of guys that got signed for Pete Spratt. We all got signed that night. Basically, he met, he met me at the Alamano Hotel. Joe Silva said I needed more work. Dana said no. He's what I want. So when, when people talk to me about Dana, I don't, I don't, I knock Dana based on how I feel like he's treating fighters. I don't knock him based on my, my past experiences with him personally. I knock him based on like how I feel about him and how I've heard of dealings with Fitch, Koscheck, Swick, Bobby Southworth, guys that have dealt with him throughout the career and, and my manager personally dealing with him. And I actually went through all this as well. And if you guys haven't had a chance, Go through and listen to Shab's story about how he went on the call and listened to him say the things that he said about him. He's like, yeah, I want to be on the call. Just don't tell him I'm there. And the shit that Joe said. Let me just tell you this, though. With Joe Silva, I could give two shits. Here's the thing. At the stage of my career when I went there the first time, I just took the fights that we were given. There was five or seven pay-per-views a year. You fought in the UFC or you didn't. That, that, that was it. But when I went back the second time when Strikeforce got bought now, different outlook, different lifestyle, different everything. My pay was, and, and when people tell me, say I'm bullshitting, I was making more money than Sean Shirk was. I wasn't even the fucking champion in Strikeforce. I was making more money than Sean Shirk was as the champion in the UFC. It was, oh, the back, the, the back locker room deals. I know Sean. Sean's like, he's like, they weren't what you people said it was. And I wasn't getting what people said I was getting. And so when that all happened, I was making, and, and I'm being 100% true, I was making almost double what Sean Shirk, the UFC champion, was making. So when people want to talk to me about it, I don't care. Now, my deal with Joe Silva, the only experience that I've had where it be kind of became an issue was after I knocked out Nate, they said, okay. You're getting the, 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 the Pettis fight because who was the guy that was supposed to fight him and him getting knocked out in training had uh, 
Uh, it was bald uh, guy. Grant, Grant something. Grant. Yeah, yeah. Grant. Um, it's from Canada. Yeah. Damn. Uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, he hasn't fought since. TJ Grant. TJ Grant. Yeah, TJ Grant. Yep. They said he was getting the title shot. He ended up getting like he got knocked out in training, uh, grappling or something, and he couldn't fight. So I said, Dana, call me, or Joe called my manager and said, Hey, Joss getting the title shot against Pettis. The whole thing didn't happen, and Pettis ended up apparently getting hurt. And I had heard a bunch of stories about why they did. That's all separate. Anyways, um, we come back to this, and Joe says, "We're gonna have you fight on the same Sacramento card that you're supposed to, to main event for the title. We're gonna have you fight. I want to say Kabalov, who's the Russian kid from Great Jacksons. I want to say it's oh, Kabalov. it was Rus- Rustam, Rustam. Kabalov. And, Rustam Kabalov. Yeah, Rustam Kabalov. And I was like, I've never heard of him. He's not ranked in the top fifteen. I'm not taking this sh- this fight. But he's tough as hell. He, yeah, I actually, <laughs> that was the thing. They said, well, first off, I didn't even look and see who he was. I just said no. And so then Joe had told Bob Cook, who is my manager, he's been my manager since the beginning of my career, and Bob and I are, he's almost pretty much like my brother, like my older brother. doesn't matter. If Bob said no, I said no, and it didn't matter. And it wouldn't matter anyways, because I would have said no anyways. The bottom line is, I went from being the main event to being the first opening card, the op- opening fight on the main card. I said, absolutely not. He said, fine, Josh Thompson can sit on the fucking bench for six months. And you, know what? you know what? You know what? what he would do. Bob called me and said, Joe said that you can sit on the bench for six months. And I told Bob, the same, I told him to tell Joe. That's fine. Josh Thompson's very good with his money and he can sit on the bench for fucking two years and he'll be just fine. And guess what happened? I said, if you call me back with a guy in the top three, I was ranked number three. So there was only like two guys. So there was, there was Pettis and there was uh, uh, Henderson and there was TJ Grant. TJ was not fighting and Pettis was apparently injured. And so I had, I had Benson. He called me a week later. Benson said, he'll fight you. And then that was the fight. And I said, for sure. As soon as he offered me that fight, I fucking took it. I'm that person. I, and it fucked my career. To be honest, it fucked my career. But the bottom line is, I'm where I am right now because of that situation. But that's the only negative situation I've ever had with Joe Silva. But here's the thing. The only reason why that situation panned out is I believed in who I was. I believed in the fact, like, I don't need your fucking money. I don't care. But a lot of these guys are not that way. A lot of these guys don't live within their means. A lot of these guys want to drive Bentleys and fucking drive around living, you know, cell phones and Rolexes. I don't have a fucking Rolex. I give two shits about a fucking Rolex. I don't care. And that's the difference between me and a lot of these guys that are in the top five. I don't care. So when Joe called and said, oh, you'll sit six months. I told Bob, tell him he can last for two years. Fuck you. And that was the difference between the situation. That was the only difference. A week later, I got the call and I got the phone. I got the fight that I wanted was Benson. Outside of Pettis, there was no other fight. I wanted that fight. I got that fight. I mean, I lost. It, it is what it is. I gambled on myself, but that's life. You know what I mean? And I'm happy with where I'm at in my life right now. So I have no, I have no regrets on how it all panned out. That's the only experience that I have with Joe Silva that would have potentially been negative. But on a positive note, I was in Houston for the, was it the second? Yeah, second Dos Anjos and, or Dos Santos and Kane fight because I was supposed to be fighting right after that against Pettis. Joe says to me, Josh, when you turn down the Pettis fight and like, and I was getting ready for the, the um, Henderson fight, he said, look, this is my only issue. 
Here's my phone. Here's all the lightweights. All the guys in red are injured. I'm trying to match you with people that are available. It has nothing to do with like, hey, I think, you know, hey, I think that like you should fight this guy. It has to do with the fact that I have no one for you to fight that's in that category of you guys to fight. Because I asked for, I asked for Cerrone. I asked for Dos Anjos. I asked for all of them, but Dos Anjos was already matched. I was actually supposed to fight Dos Anjos and they called me for the Pettis fight. Matched me for that, but then they gave those Sanders to someone else after I took the Pettis fight. So there was a lot of stuff, but to tip my hat to Joe, and people want to have all these negative shit, as a matchmaker, there's a lot of shit behind the scenes that we're criticizing that we don't know. He, lo- he showed me, he's like, look, we got 100-something lightweights, whatever it is, but in the top 10, top 15, these are the only guys available because the rest of them in red are not available. They're injured. They're hurt. Their wife's having a kid. They're getting married. Whatever the fuck it is, that was the issue. And so my experience with him, and I've always said this, is that I don't have a problem with him. And some of the guys do. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't care. Because if you're, if you're supposed to be the best fighter in the world, fight who the fuck they put in front of you. That's it. Like yeah. You want the best guy. You want to fight the best guy. I don't want to fight the, the shitty guy, the guy that's not even 15. One, one of the problems is this, and this is what most people don't understand. The, the, the fighter's always trying to make as much money as he can make. The yeah. promoter's always trying to pay them as little as they can. It's an adversarial relationship. Yep. Right? And that adversarial relationship is done by usually the matchmaker who knows I have this much money to work with and so when he can get one over on the fighter, he's, he's happy with himself. And Joe was happy with himself. Yeah, I, I see all kinds of stuff. I was, in fact, I was looking at The Athletic, and Ben Folks wrote an article about Joe. And you know, I can tell you, look, I've known Joe forever. And you know, Joe and I always got along. And, and, but Joe is he's confrontational. He is an antagonist. He is a smartass. You know, he, he used to tell me that, you know, that, you know, Frank Mir, he used to work out at, at Ricardo Perez, you know, gym in Las Vegas. And he used to tell me that Frank Mir couldn't tap him out. And I'm thinking, Joe, he would tap you out whenever he wanted. He's not trying to because he doesn't want to upset you. Okay. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You know, this is well, Joe and the him, reality. Frank and Joe are friends, like legit. And, yes. and Joe would tell those stories all the time, but I don't think anyone ever really truly believed it. But Frank and Joe are friends. Of course, no one yeah. believed it. Yeah. Okay. And again, but they were friends outside of, of fighting as well. They would hang out well, and they would do there, you know, outside. All, of fighting. There, okay. There's this whole story of, you know, in fact, in, in Ben's article, it's talking, who was the matchmaker for over 20 years with the UFC. Okay. Is that true? No, not even close. He, he says that he was the matchmaker for him when, you know, when Semaphore Entertainment Group owned. No, he wasn't. Hmm. That's a lie. That's a total lie. Now, I'm not saying Ben's lying. I'm saying that's a story that someone, I don't know if it's Joe, but someone told Ben, and then he rewrites it. But, you know, Joe started off as a fanboy, calling Semaphore Entertainment Group, saying, I, you know, and he was big into Shudo in yes, Japan, and knowing all the, the lightweight fighters and stuff, and just yeah. trying to get them to do things. And, you know, he's giving them ideas. And they him posters for some of his ideas. And sometimes they would, you know, kind of, you know, go with an idea. And many times they wouldn't. But eventually, you know, and this is early, early, you know, when the UFC was, you know, in the teens, 
they were in trouble with money and they weren't even handing out posters to Joe because they weren't making posters and Joe was gone. And Jeff Blatnick, who was the color commentator working with Mike Goldberg, Jeff Blatnick hired Joe Silva to be the guy to write his bio for fighters. So Jeff Blatnick buys Joe a computer and sets him up and he pays him a salary to make these bios so Jeff would have information on all these fighters because he didn't know them. So that was how Joe Silva kind of stayed. You know, he wasn't part of the UFC. He was working for Latin. Okay, and he had nothing to do with matchmaking because the matchmakers for the UFC, Art Davey, who was the founder of it, yeah. he was the first matchmaker. And when he sold it, he stayed on as matchmaker until he was released and they brought in John Peretti who then was the matchmaker until the Fertitas bought it. Yeah. Now, the truth is I met Lorenzo Fertitta back at UFC 21, all right? That was in Iowa, and there was, uh, like, I think Pat Militich fought uh, Andre Pettineris that night, and it was um, Marco Huas against Maury Smith, but there was one fight, Daiju Takasi against Jeremy Horn, and I had to go to dinner with Lorenzo Fertitta and Gina Carano's father, and uh, a guy named uh, Flip Homansky, who was the medical director for Nevada at the time. And during that dinner, I actually gave Lorenzo the name of a guy named John Lewis, who you know, everyone knows. Yes. John had a jiu-jitsu school in Las Vegas, JSEC jiu-jitsu. And I'm, and I'm not saying that how Lorenzo ended up finally going there, but eventually Lorenzo goes. There. I give him John's number, but eventually he hears about, it, you know, this guy and he goes he starts taking lessons from john lewis and when lorenzo and frank were buying the ufc their matchmaker was going to be john lewis yeah that was supposed to be the guy that was going to be the matchmaker and jeff blotnick we had a dinner they flew us in to talk and jeff blotnick brings up the name of joe silva it says, look, I'm just telling you, this guy knows a bunch of, you know, about the fighters. I think he would, you know, be someone you'd want to talk to. They contact Joe. They bring him in. They talk to him. And all of a sudden, John Lewis was out. And that's when Joe Silva became the matchmaker for Zufa and the UFC. So when Zufa starts, Joe Silva becomes the matchmaker. And at the time, they didn't have, you know, they were trying to hold back on money. And because of the fact, that Joe Silva got the job. That's when John Lewis and John Huntington started yes. the WFA, yeah. which was another fight promotion that was to fight against the UFC. So, yeah. you know, Joe Joe's did a, Joe did a great job with what he had. He helped build that company based upon him knowing the fighters because Dana didn't know anybody. Yeah. Lorenzo didn't know anybody. And they were going off of the word of Joe Silva and you know overall he did a good job Joe Joe was you know for the company obviously you're never going to be able to make all fighters happen can't do it not in that job you just it's not going to happen the one thing I will tell you is one of the reasons Joe left obviously he got money to, in, in the buyout of it but he left because he would he would always talk about he loved the fact that he could call guys and say I want to sign and sign new fighters and it made him feel good and he hated the fact that he had to cut fighters, especially fighters that 
had performed for a long time for him, and eventually it was time to get rid of him, and he had to cut him, killed him. So that's one of the reasons he left the job. He was tired of that whole, you know, scenario where he had to disappoint people. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at it. I, from every fighter, <laughs> it, it's true. From every yeah. fighter's point of view, there's so many different ways of looking at it. And it just became, my honest opinion, like as a matchmaker, and I, here's the thing is, I, because I've fought in every organization, I fought in Pride, I fought in UFC, I fought in Dream, fought in Strike Force, fought in Bellator, fought back in the UFC. Like I've been around and I've, I've worked for one as a commentator and I've been around and talked to the fighters in the back. I understand the business on the backside as well as the front side as being an athlete. You've been around since stage one. Like, you know what I mean? So you understand how what it takes to build the organization to make it what it is now. I'm I you'll never, I, I don't talk about Dana or Joe or Sean Shelby in a negative way when it comes to what they've done to build the sport. I talk to them and I talk about them in a negative way of what the fuck is going on right now, what is present, what is relevant in the sport. The way that Dana tried to 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 basically stick the fucking uh, Fitch and Kane and Koscheck and those guys, go right ahead. Like if that's the way you want to do business, go right ahead. I mean, fighters will oh, and this is why we don't have a union. <clears throat> fighters will continue to take less because that's what they fucking do because they're stupid, and they will continue to be stupid because they want to be on TV and they want to say that they're a UFC fighter and they want to say they're a star. That was the problem. So when people come to me and like we're having this conversation about the Joe thing. I don't have a problem with Joe because I always knew my worth because, yeah. because Scott Coker showed it to me. So when I left but, the, when the UFC cut the lightweight division, I went to pride. I made almost double what I made in all three of my UFC fights. I made almost double in one fight. You know who negotiated well, that contract for me for pride? Scott Coker. <laughs> When people talk to me about like, hey, what your worth is, Coker is the one that negotiated that deal for me over there in Japan to fight in Pride. And sure, it was sure it was not it was like the, the Japanese do what the Japanese do. You're fighting, you're not fighting, you're yeah. fighting, you're not fighting. But that's not something Coker can can deal with. You know, like he doesn't deal with that. He deal with like, hey, Josh is the you know a friend of mine lives in San Jose, trades at AK, Javier and Coker are friends. Like, can we kind of work this out? Like, let's get in a fight. Obviously, I was one of the best lightweights in the UFC at the time back then. They got me a fight. And it was, I made almost double, almost double of all three of my fights combined for one fight over there. But so, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things is this, though. And this is what fighters, you know, anybody in the entertainment area, I guess. But fighters, when you're after something. You're putting a value on yourself. Mm -hmm. Not easy. Okay. It's not easy to come up with that number that you go, I think this is what I'm worth. This is, this is what I think is, this is what I should make. Okay. So you come up with that number and then you bring it to somebody and that person, be it Joe Silva or, or Rich Chow or whoever goes, no, you're not worth that. It hurts. It hurts a lot, you know, and a lot of, People, guys and girls are not prepared to be in that situation. That's why they have managers. That's why you have a manager that goes and does all of that dirty work behind the scenes for you. That's what Bob Cook was doing for you. 
even though he might have let you in on more than you know other managers do. But when you see all of these managers, they're the ones that are sitting there having you know the conversations and having the the matchmaker say he's not worth that, he sucks, he's shit, or whatever. And the fighter never hears it. But if the fighter hears it, this is like what Brendan is talking about when he sat in on a conversation. Hey, it hurts to hear that person that you are actually fighting for them and that organization that they have that feeling about you it hurts john i agree with you 100 percent. it's sometimes here it's hard to hear those things and when brennan when i was actually listening to some of brennan's stuff when he was talking about it i was like what did you expect to hear though that's the thing well, I, that's the that's the issue you guys s- stop pretending that this is not a business and stop pretending that these guys are your friends they are not. Ah, that's it. That's the issue. And and here's the thing. I went through, I didn't go through this, but Rockhold is one of my friends. And he went through this, like with the whole contract negotiation, he kind of did the deal with Dana separately than he did the deal with having his manager handle it. Oh no, UFC is going to take care of me. You? No, they're not. This it is, is an not adversarial role. No matter what you think. It's worked out for some guys. DC right now getting his trilogy fight with Stipe. It worked out for him because they did owe him because he did step up in certain situations that sure. carried the main event. They did think, but with Luke, it didn't work out. Like they they should have done stuff that they said they were going to do. It didn't work out. It, it, the stuff didn't work out. Regardless, do not, do not ever take it on a, Hey, I'm going to do this for you. Never. No, if it's not in the contract, it is not happening. Just, just in your mind, get that straight. And it has nothing to do with just the UFC, whether it's one, whether it's Bellator, whether it's UFC, it could be fucking podunk, small shows at any reservations. If it, if it's not in the contract, they don't have to honor it. So as a fighter, as an athlete, period, you people complain about NFL guys. Oh, you guys, you know, you want more money. You want this. No, they're asking for what they believe they are worth. And they negotiated something. Now I do get upset with guys in the NFL and the NBA and all, uh, you're one or two years into your contract. Now your prime is hit and you want more money. I understand why you do. Sure. But here's the take though. You're playing every day to prove what you're, what you're worth in as a fighter, you have one or two times and opportunities to do that. So your contract should not be six, eight, and 10 fight deals. Never. It should be on, it should be a two to three, maybe, maybe four fight deal because you could potentially be getting better and better and better, which you should be if you're a top fighter. You should be getting better and better every fight. Stop signing these long ass deals. The last thing I'm going to say about that whole deal fucking free market why are you guys so married to the ufc oh the name the name's fucking you get over it the name is sticking you with the big hold on it's no different than what our take a look at the fans on that watch our podcast Mm -hmm. okay the the athlete the fighter themselves they have been programmed and 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 this is not saying anything bad but by media and by a fan base that tells them that if they're not fighting in a specific organization, they're not one of the best. Okay. okay. And, and that's, this is their validation. So 
I want to be validated. So I I'll take less to fight there because that will validate my worth as a fighter. And you know, look at how many times have we talked to guys and you know, we've said, Hey man, you know, you're doing great. They're fighting for a different organization. You're not, they're not fighting in Bellator and we'll talk to them and you know, say, Hey, you're doing great there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about going over to the UFC. Okay. What are you making right now? Right. And we'll talk to them and how much can you, and what do you think the UFC? So you're going to take basically, you know, a six figure cut for your ego. You're going to take a six figure cut for it because you have an ego that tells you I need to fight under a specific group of letters instead of, I don't need to worry about what these people think. I need to take care of my family and my future. And this is the organization that's paying me more money. And so that's what I'm going to do. You yeah. know, that's true. You know, we have we not you and I, have we sat and talked to people. Yeah. Tons of them. And yeah. I, I'll give everyone the most current situation would be Roy McDonald. He okay. went from the UFC, came to Bellator, won the title there, lost to Lima. They could have redone his contract. They were trying to redo his contract. And he said, no, I want to go to PFL. And what do you say? I think they have great, they have tough guys, but he has an opportunity to make a million dollars to fight in a tournament and make money there. I yeah. feel like his talent level at that organization, every organization is different in every weight He's class. He's gambling is on himself. He's gambling on himself. And I admire that. I admire yeah. the fact that he is banking on himself to make the most amount of money he possibly can to take care of himself and his family. I think, I, it's a, I, I think he's actually, I think he actually did a great job. The bottom line is this is I've said this for years. Do you want to be broke and famous or do you want to be rich and people don't know who the fuck you are? Because I was, no I, will, I, I will take the money every single time and then not have to worry about later on being stopped at every fucking gas station at every light. Can I get a picture? That, what other way do you want to live? It I does not love, fill your gas tank. You know, exactly. It does not fill your gas tank. It does, does not put food on the, on the table. And I've talked to, here's the other thing is I've talked to multiple fighters that have gone, that are in the UFC right now and said, Hey, I'm thinking about coming to the UFC or not UFC, but Bellator. Or I'm thinking about like checking the free market, check the free market agency. And I, sure. even if you decide to go back, Okay. Do not do not let their threats scare you. That was the concern. People think that like if you check the free market, they they're not going to want you back. Look at Anthony Johnson. They cut him, let him go. He came back. When he left, he was making ha- not even half. He was making like a quarter of what he is making now when he came back before. But when he came back and fought DC, he's fucking was raking it in. When he came back and then he left a little bit. Now he's gone. Now he's coming back. He's trying to get his weight down, everything under control, get back in fight shape, all those things. He's making more than when he left the second time. So you guys understand this. If you have a value and you believe you have a value, you can make more from the UFC, from Bellator, from one, from all these organizations. They will want to sign you. Joe Silva said, we cut, we fucking cut Anthony Johnson. He didn't make weight. He's done. He'll never find the UFC again. What, a year, year and a half went by? Fucking dude came back, was making double what he was making when he left. Don't tell me it's not possible. 
Okay, that's the thing that pisses me off the most. You guys, bank on yourself. Check the free market agency. See what you really are worth. Now, those numbers may not be what you think you are worth. I understand that. I understand yep. that. But that's something you have to you have to deal with as a reality check and understand like, hey, Bellator says I'm worth this. One says I'm worth this. And every organization will have a different number based on who they have in those weight classes. Sure. That's the other thing is that... <clears throat> When I came to Bellator, I got paid more because there was Chandler, there was Will Brooks, there was, uh, you know, guys in that division. They were like, hey, this could be fun. But if I was to go to a different division, they're like, eh, we already have enough guys or we don't have anyone for you really to fight. What's the point of paying you? But you have you know to I mean? look and say, if if you're going to put someone in a weight class and there's and he's a good fighter and there's not a lot of people in that weight class, yeah. well, you know, well, he's going to probably walk through these guys mm-hmm. he's going to smoke these guys and then what's he's what's he going to do yeah. he's going to ask for more money because yeah. hey i'm winning okay and so you've got to understand that it really depends upon the talent that's in that weight class with that promotion yep. is based upon how much you will get that's just part of the process well i feel like that's a big reason why when eddie went to one People can say whatever they want about Eddie. Oh, because he lost to Connor. He left. No, he left because there was way more money on the table. Yeah. Almost, almost maybe triple what he was making in the UFC. And he's, it, and he's got a family to feed. Exactly. And it wasn't just that, though. It was the fact that, look, one has a ton of guys. And we found out in his first fight that can stand and bang and with fight. him. They can yeah. fucking fight. Especially and, on the feet. Especially that kid that beat him, which I've been a fan of that kid since I was working with one, Timothy Nasukin. Just dogs. I mean, big, big dogs in his hands. It's absolutely incredible. I got hit so damn hard. Anyways, but he's got guys in that division for him to fight, and that's why they banked on him. Now, if you run up to the other guys, let's just say you run to 170, 185, you know, you get to 205. The market is not the same. They probably will not pay as much. They may pay pretty well. Don't get me wrong. One will pay. But they may not pay as well as for someone like DJ with Demetrius Johnson because they have a ton of small guys. They've got a ton of good lightweights. They got That's why they wanted Eddie. They're that's why they got DJ. A lot of small weight class. They've got a lot of small weight class guys because they're an Asian market. They, they, they're stationed out in Singapore. You have to know where you're going based on where they're going to pay you. It doesn't, I'm not here to home or Bellator. What I'm here to tell people is every organization will value somebody different. The PFL will value Roy McDonald differently than the Bellator did. And other organizations will value someone else from the lightweight division or the heavyweight division more based on who they have in those weight classes. You have to understand the business. And as a fighter, you have to come to grips with the fact that one organization may not appreciate you, but the other one will. And you need to go out there and find out which one wants to pay you the most. And it is okay not to say, hey, I'm an MMA fighter. I'm not a UFC fighter. And that, I think, is a stigma that people have a hard time getting rid of as a fighter. When they, oh when they see people on the plane, what do they say? Oh, I'm a UFC fighter. No, you're an MMA fighter. You are not a UFC fighter. You are an MMA fighter. And that's all that matters. I'm a fighter. I make money professionally as an athlete and I'm fucking, fight MMA and I'm fucking rich. That's what you should be saying to people. That's what you should well, be saying to people. There's a couple guys that can do that. Yeah, but there should be more. That's my yes, point. There should. there should be more saying that. And a lot of them are afraid because they don't want to leave an organization with three letters that say UFC. No, when people run into me at the airport and they say, oh yeah, so you're a UFC fighter. No, I'm an MMA fighter. Every single time I correct him, every single, it's a sport. That's it. I play football. 
Okay, I'm, I play, sure, maybe I play in the NFL, but I play football. It's a sport, you know? And so when we get into this, I just, I only want the best for the fighters. And I've seen it all. And that's the hardest part. And I've been, here's the thing. I was in Strikeforce. Strikeforce wasn't get the recognition that most, and you have Koscheck, Swick, and Fitch all were rising in the UFC from the, from the reality show, from all that stuff. And I was gung-ho for I was happy for them. But I already saw, like, in, in AKA, there was a little bit of a, not, I wouldn't say division, but it was like, yeah, we're UFC guys, you're Strikeforce guys. It was a little bit, it wasn't like, we didn't have a problem with each other. But when it came to promotional stuff, Coker was always, Scott Coker and Strikeforce was always like, hey, you know, you guys, you guys want to come to an event, we'll give you guys tickets, isn't that? If we tried to go to a UFC fight... We, got, we didn't get tickets, or if we did get tickets, they were like nosebleeds. They would always try to fuck us and make us look like we were nothing. And it was like, it was one of those situations. And we're, we understood that. We, we under, our, our manager would tell us, Bob Cook would tell us, no, they're going to give you like nosebleeds. Don't even bother Josh. Like, just go hang out. We'll see you guys after the fights. I've watched the fight somewhere else in Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it was. But you just have to understand that the reality of it is, is that they are not your friends. They will not take care of you. Um, you need to make sure that it's in the contract. That's it. Don't bank on anything else. So when I hear these guys, and and I'm Gray's one of my Gray, I trained with Gray for years. One of my closest friends, uh, him, Frankie, all these guys. I'm not upset with them saying the things that they're saying because everyone has every fighter has their own experience. I never had an experience with Joe Silva that I let affect me personally. And these guys are talking about it. Like Mike Pierce, I think it's Mike Pierce. He's talking about like some of the situation. Brandon Shaw talked about. It. I talk about it now. I'm just like I can give two shits. Like he was never somebody that I allowed affect what I was doing, and I can see where they're looking back, going, "Yeah, you kept fucking using me, and I allowed it to happen. Why? That's the issue." And some of that, and when I I did I did this thing on my Instagram, and I said, "You guys got to remember every dollar," and I say this all the time, every dollar I have in my bank account right now is from me getting punched in the fucking face. Every single dollar. This is it, that's true. And so when that happens and you sit back and you think about it, how much is it really worth? Tell your, ask yourself that. You're gonna let some guy, and people look at Joe Silva, he's like what, 5'1", 5'2", 5'3", maybe? You're gonna let that kid, <laughs> that guy tell you what you're worth? Fuck you, no way. I was never that guy. And that's why, that's why John, that's why I think you and I get along so well. We understand, I'm not letting anyone tell me what my worth is. My worth is this, I feel it is this, and I'm willing to work my way from the bottom to the top. I'm not, I'm not asking for handouts. And I think a lot of the guys, none of the fighters are ever asking for handouts, but they wanna be traded fairly. And I think that's why we're in the situation we're in now, where you got Mazadal, you got John Jones, you got Amanda Nunes saying she may retire. Connor's retiring. You've got Cejudo retired. You've got all these guys leaving the sport. <laughs> For what? There's no money to be made because these guys, they're getting taken. There is money to be made, but they're there getting is. raked over the coals. But this, is, but this is exactly, finally, you're getting close. I, we, we talked about this before, and I said, you will need to get at least 15 of the top fighters in that organization to mm -hmm. all say, okay, yeah. We're not going to we're not going to let this happen anymore. We want more. And they want that more of a percentage. I said you get 15, now you can start talking about oh a union and things like that. Until you reach that number, you're never going to make it because there'll always be someone in the background to say, "I'll do it." 
because they want that limelight. They want to step forward. They want that chance. And I understand why. But now that you have John Jones, look at, he carries a lot of weight just because of his record and everything. Amanda Nunez carries a lot of weight if she's going to leave. Henry Cejudo leaving hurts because he was fighting well and he was taking on good opposition and putting on good performances and people were starting to yep. take note 100 people were starting to notice henry cejudo and his his star was it was rising so that's a big loss now they know they can get him back okay he's already told them yeah now you get me back yep. so, give me volk give me volk yeah, so, okay so you want him back but not only and this is where Show we talk well, that's okay because He's put himself yep. in that proper position because he's sitting back now. And this is what I talked about with, you know, when John Jones, you know, did the whole thing with Ningano, I said, he didn't, he didn't set it up right. Yeah. He didn't do it right. John, you want to say, I, oh, you got that guy. Yeah. I would think about fighting him and let it go. Let, or let the fans, let the fans say, Hey, we want to see that fight and make it to where now Dana is saying, I want to see that fight. Yeah. Well, with Cejudo, Suhudo is sitting there in a position saying, Hey, I, I'm retired. Yeah. And you know, you know the fight that I'll take to get me back. And now it's just a question of once you come to me and say, Hey, do you want to fight Volkanovsky? Now it's just a question of how much. But and that's a good position to be in. So these are all champions that we're talking about. I mean, even though Mazadal is a BMF title holder, or whatever it is, but like no. you've got guys that are at the top echelon. But now you got Paulo Costa came out and said, I want 15 million. And that's not counting. My fucking, <laughs> my whatever guaranteed purse and this and that. Well, I don't know what he said, but it was somewhere. He said, no, I want 15 million to fight easy. Whoa, whoa. When whoa. You've got, now you've got number one contenders saying, I want this. Yeah. Now you're making a little bit of leeway. It, but here's the issue. These guys will, sure, there'll be guys that will take less. And they'll continue sure. to take less. Sure. But in, in, and I said this weeks before Brendan did. And I, I actually texted uh, Dave and I was like, I feel like Brendan listened to my show and was like saying what I said. The bottom line is, is if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. Their hands are cuffed. They have, they have no fans. Now you can maybe schedule it. Say, look, my new fight, my new purse, my new schedule, my new contract, whatever will start in new years or when we have crowds and just sit on the bench and wait, get better, get like, get better at your craft. It all comes down to one. The last thing we're talking about though, Josh, we didn't even bring up. Look at their biggest money maker. Is who? It's Connor. Connor. What, what, yeah. what did Connor say? I'm, I'm retired. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm retired. Thank you. Okay. Now, is he? No, but what is he doing? He's making a money play. He yeah. said, Oh, you know what? Go ahead and put these other guys in the fights because this is what we're talking about. You've got to have these big names. Those big names are what draws. Yeah. The, the fans, it draws them to the stadiums, which now they're not, but at least still draws them to pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. And those pay-per-views are important. Now, I understand right now why the UFC is going, I don't want to put a Conor McGregor in a pay-per-view when of I course. have no fans because no fans. I am losing a shit million. ton of money. $20 yeah. million dollars they're losing. Probably. $20 million dollars gone. to $20 million gone. Yep. So I understand why they don't want to, you know, put him out there right now. But this is, you know, it's a whole process. And if you're going to say, is this the right time? If you're the fighters, well, you've kind of got them. 
you can yeah you can really you can really put yourself in a position to have more say as far as what your you know business is and that's a big step if you're a fan and you guys are at home going hey well guess what you don't have to fight <coughs> fighting is like a you don't have to fight they no one's forcing <laughs> you to fight let me just tell you this when you have the top echelon, John Jones, Conor McGregor, Henderson Hudo, Amanda Nunes, all of these fighters saying they're retired or they're not going to fight or whatever it is, Paulo Costa, Izzy, all of them saying this. Let me just tell you this. If you guys are like, oh, you don't have to fight, fine. You'll keep getting um, fight night type fights. And you guys go ahead and see if you want to pay for that. You guys want to tune in. You guys are complaining and saying like, well, you don't have to fight. No, actually, they do have to fight. You want to know why? Because you really wouldn't tune in otherwise. So when it comes down to it, these are the ones that sell the promotion. And yeah. people can continue to knock me and say, I say this about the UFC. But guess what? These guys are the best guys in the world at what they do, their craft. And when you're telling them you're, they're not worth it, you're going to end up with mediocre fights and you guys won't be tuning in anymore. And that's the, that's the, that is the bottom line where you're at. I'm not saying, and I said this the other day, I, I said on my social media and I said, they're not asking for, 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 for way more. They're asking for a conversation to be had that we both as athletes and promotion need to come together and let's talk about this. And I said this, what last week I said, they're not, let's not talk about, 50%, 50-50, like the NBA and the NFL and all this other shit. Let's talk 20-80. Let's talk 30-70. Let's talk these numbers first and get it on get it on record. Let's get the conversation started. Right now, there's no fucking conversation. It's you either fight or you don't. And these are the stories the fighters are telling. When the That's Joe exactly Silva stories came out, it was like, fuck you, you fight or fuck you, sit on the bench. And I told well, this... It, it's the same thing as we you know the story that came out. And I knew of this, but I wasn't going to... You know, I would never have said it. When, you know, they were going to cut Hector Lombard and they, you know, they actually made him take because he got a big contract when he came over yeah. from Bellator and he had a couple of fights and he lost. He lost to uh, Bochic and they said, oh, you know what? We're, we're going to let you go. And he ended up taking less and he stayed with the company. But you look and you go, it's just so low. Yeah. You know. But and this is what I talk about. It doesn't matter. And you you're talking about, you know, don't take that eight fight contract. It doesn't matter what contract you sign. Yeah. The contract that they have is all for them because they can cut you at any time. Mm -hmm. They can let you go. So if you think you're getting security by having that six fight or eight fight contract it's not a security blanket no it's not going to work for you they have the ability to get rid of it at any time yeah so the reason why i say don't take a six and eight five deal is because if you're winning and your money value supposed, wise. yeah value wise if you're winning they know that they have you by the balls but in a six there's no guarantee like you're saying they can cut you anytime the con anytime. the contracts are a lot more kind of like um, the NFL where there's no guaranteed money and they can let you go anytime. You're not secure. Everyone knows that in the NFL, but they're signing up for that. But they're also getting, they're also getting paid a fucking ton more than we are. You know what I mean? A majority of them are. I mean, when you have 50, 60 people on a rock, 52 people on a roster, they're all getting paid more than what a guy makes, you know, in a, in a fight. The bottom line is, is when we get to the, we get to down to the nooks and cranny, you guys as fighters need to understand that the free market agency is in your favor. Start using it. Don't don't think that like, oh, if I fight out my last fight, that if I go, the UFC is just going to let me go. Fine. Let them go. Let it go. 
Who cares? Yeah. You've got the PFL. You can make a million dollars winning a fucking a tournament where you fight guys. Honestly, they're they're good. They're very talented. Right. But these aren't these aren't the guys in the top five in the USC. And right. there's some guys, in, and I feel like some guys in the Bellator will definitely win, do very well there. And even in one one guys, you have guys in all these. Or go where the money is. Check it out because Anthony Johnson is proof that they will have you back. When you're winning, it doesn't matter. If you go to one and you knock everyone out and become champion there, they'll have you back. The reason why they never picked up Ben because Ben had this stigma of him being boring. But Ben was a fucking winner. And they brought him in at the end when his hip was fucked up, his his career was on the down. Like he, he, just, he just was getting older. They knew yeah. what they were doing. Dana knows what he's doing when he does that. It's no different than when Floyd Mayweather fights guys when they're fucking two, three years older after they're out of their prime. He knows what he's doing. Very smart on his play, by the way. Very genius on Dana White's play. But at the end of the day, you guys have to remember, strike where the iron is hot. Stop signing these six and eight fight deals and bank on yourself to be successful. Believe in yourself. That's all I'm asking. You guys will make a ton more money. All right. We're going to go off it. Did you did you hear Dana's uh, Mount Rushmore? <laughs> Mount Rushmore. Did you hear it? Fuck, I almost shit myself laughing out loud. Yeah, come Fuck, on. Fuck, it was man. embarrassing. I, I give him credit. He, he put Hoist Gracie in. I didn't think he would do it. God bless him for doing it. That, that's the right choice. How the fuck do you not put Hoist? Uh, exactly. It's like having George Washington. Like, come on, man. But then oh, I look God. at everybody else he put on there, and it's like, what are you trying? What are you doing? You know? and, 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 and it's a matter of... What is, what is your Mount Rushmore? There has to be a system behind it as far as what they did to change the sport. Yeah. That's what that is. It's not who is actually the best fighter sometimes. No, no, it's not. It's what did they do yeah. within their career that created or changed or improved or dominated the sport in a way that nobody else did up to that point, and it changed everything for everyone from yeah. that point forward. So I, I was just looking at him because like, I know he put Amanda Nunez, in, and I love Amanda. She yeah. is a phenomenal fighter. You know, you want to say she's the best female fighter right now? Okay, you know what? Great. Go ahead. Go ahead. But she is not the person that has changed no. women's fighting. She's not the person that set that stage. She's no. not the person that created the situation for the Amanda Nunez no. to yeah. become who she is. You know, there was people. That's Gina Carano, by the way. That's you know, G- for those of you guys that are only the relatively yeah, fans, you know, casual well, fans. Gina Carano did that. Just you can. It's going to be one of two, and I I look at Gina. Gina's yep. the one. You know, Gina. People have no idea. It was everything about Gina. You know, because Gina, yes, she's a pretty lady. You know, gorgeous lady, but it was her personality yeah. and the way that she spoke with people and her just her demeanor created a situation that was, you know, perfect for people to start accepting female MMA, you know, because, you know, people don't remember when female MMA was going it was three minute rounds. Because God knows a woman couldn't fight a five-minute round. I was one of the ones stepping up there saying, this is ridiculous. These are professional fighters. These girls deserve to have every bit that the men have. The sport should not change. It is the same. And finally, Gina was the one. She got the five-minute rounds. 
So she should be there, or it's Rhonda who brought it to another level off of popularity. She's not the one that started the, the female MMA and got it really going, but she did step it up to another level. So it's one of those two. And then you look and you know, he put Chuck Liddell, and I love Chuck. Yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah. I know you're good friends with him, but yeah, you can't put Chuck there. Okay. No. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck had a good run in the UFC. Yeah. Chuck was a one-time light heavyweight champion. He held the belt for a couple of years. There's people that change the sport. Yeah. There's people within the UFC, if you wanted to look at it, you know, and people say they want Randy Couture won three titles in two different divisions. Yeah. All right. How do you put Chuck ahead of him? You don't like him? Okay. I understand you don't like him, but that's the guy that helped change the sport. He created an interest in the sport and gave a background to it that was valid and helped make MMA what it was. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking, I just look at that list and I'm like, I don't think you get the idea of what a Mount Rushmore is. No, no, no. Deion Sanders was talking about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Deion Sanders was talking about this for the Hall of Fame for the NFL. He's like, it's a fucking joke now. It's a joke. These guys are getting in based off of numbers that have been skewed because of the way that they award the offensive system. He's like, these guys haven't changed the game. I look at the Hall of Fame as guys and people that have changed the game. When we talk about our, Rushmore, our Mount Rushmore, people gave me like a lot of flack about the BJ Penn thing. But I okay. said, look. But at what time? One time, BJ changed the sport. He changed the sport. The, the contracts now are done differently because of BJ Penn. And BJ Penn was also a two division champion. Was it before Randy? Or no, after I think it was after Randy. No, it was he, after. he won. Yeah, he won the yeah. uh, Walter Way and he then went back away first. Yeah. Then went Randy, I think Randy was first, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, but that's so. What I'm saying is that he changed. I feel like he changed the sport, not in obviously in fighters' favors because he fucked us with the contract situation because he bounced after he beat Matt. But my point is that he was someone that revolutionized how the sport was taken in now and how the UFC does business that is people give me a hard time for it and i can understand why they do you know um but outside of that i have hoist i've got gsp being who he is and what he's done for the sport bringing in he's just honestly the fact that he didn't put gsp on there i was like that that right there tells you that's why we'll never see the Khabib and GSP fight or the Connor and GSP fight. He just has no respect for GSP whatsoever. It's, 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 you want to know why? I feel like some of it is because he's always had a manager that's looked out for him and taken care of him and realized my guy is extremely marketable and Dana, and he wasn't going to put up with whatever Dana wanted. He's done everything right. G, GSP continues to carry himself like a true gentleman, a true athlete, a true, it, just everything. He's Champion. done everything it's a true champion done everything yep. proper and done everything right i feel like you have hoist you've got gsp i mean after that i would probably if i was gonna put a female on there i put gina first only because i just remember i lived in that era when yep. she when the talk of her being the main event against cyborg it was huge it was so big people didn't give it the credit it does it was so big I mean, there was buzz everywhere. People were talking about, we had Hollywood stars, like all of them, before even Hollywood stars wanted to come to these fights, they were like, yeah, fuck that shit. We're not going there. It's brutal. It's, it's caveman shit. It's like cockfighting. Remember that was the buzz for us, but they came out to watch her fight. And even though she lost to Cyborg, but it was one of those fights where people came out just to tune in and watch and pay, show. It was, 
Anyways, I would put her on there and she still to this day is a huge name. And so we've seen outside of those three being on there, I really am like, all right, okay, let's fill the next one. I, let's pick and choose things to change in a year or two, you know, whatever it is. But the fact that he didn't bring up GSP, that kind of bothered me. That bothered me a lot. I was like, well, you, you know, I knew he wouldn't put Fedor on there. And if you're no. going to look, no. Fedor's a guy. He changed MMA. Yeah, yeah he did. Because he created a new style of ground and pound. Yeah. There was ground and pound that happened, you know, from the beginning, Dan Severn, and then Mark Coleman was the guy. Yeah. That became the, the, you know, the godfather of ground and pound. But Fedor even changed it and changed what happened in MMA based upon the way he used to do it along with his stand-up and then with the winning record that he had. And so you're looking. There's, there's, there's people that you can righteously put on there. If it's not Gina, I would say Ronda. For, for women's MMA, yeah, she created an, an, just an ungodly interest yeah. in women's MMA that you cannot dispute. You just can't dispute no, it, you man. Can't. You know, and, you and you cannot like her. If you don't like her as a person, I don't care. She deserves that. You know, if it's either Gina or Ronda. That's one of the two. So you got Hoist, Gina, Ronda. I say Randy Couture is actually the guy because based upon what he did for so long, winning multiple titles, because he gave up, you know, he first won a title against Maury Smith, gave it up, right. then won against Kevin Randleman in the heavyweight division, you know, came back, wins the heavyweight title again, beats Chuck when they set him up to lose. To Chuck, because you You're know, such a homer. I'm not a homer. <laughs> such a being I want everyone to understand. That John McCarthy and Randy Couture are very, very good friends. And I love Randy. <laughs> Randy and I are friends as well. But I am not anywhere near as good a friend with him as John is. So I want everyone to understand, if there's going to be a Homer moment, it's going to be right fucking are now. You, trying to you are a right Homer. Now? Are you <laughs> trying to DC me right now, man? <laughs> you are a Homer. You are a Homer. I want everyone to understand he's a Homer. So, but my, my, and, and I'm I, not far I mean, off. It's I can, Randy. I'm not arguing that, really. And then honest. Fedor and GSP. So it's it's... It's the yeah. combination. You can you can choose any of those. Those are the those are the people. Yeah. Those are the ones. You know? But I thought it was funny. It was funny when he put John Jones in there. And, and look, John's the great fighter. I'll never say he's not. I've always said that he's you know the best fighter I, I had ever seen. But you can't put him on there right no, now. No, no. Not even close. My thing is you can't put cheats on. And I'll always say that. <laughs> I'll continue to say that, and I'll always say that. Your Chiefs can't be on there, but it is what it is. Uh, well, I love, I love him as an athlete. I think he's probably the most talented guy that's ever stepped in the fucking cage. Oh. It just sucks that he ruined his reputation doing whatever it is he did. Outside, inside, whatever it is. I feel like he could have been the greatest even without whatever it is he decided to, to cheat with. It just sucks because I know he is very, very good, and I will never oh. discredit how talented he is ever. It's incredible. It just sucks that he's just been he's tainted himself with the shit that goes on because he's he's extremely talented. It runs, you can tell, it runs in his family. His two brothers are extremely talented and and blesses athletes. Him himself, and just it it bothers me because I know he could have been just as good without that shit, you know. Yep. And it sucks. Um, outside of that, yeah, I agree with you. The whole Dana conversation and all that stuff, he. <laughs> The, the, when he threw that out, I was like, oh, God, this is uh, horrible. This is one of the worst Mount Rushmore's I've ever seen. And I, I'm a Chuck. Chuck's my boy, you know, yeah. but I feel like he's trying to, like, throw Chuck on there to make up for the fact that he screwed Chuck, you know, over the whole buyout and all that shit. He's just trying to say, hey, Chuck, will you still be my friend? Can we shake hands when I see you in public? Yeah, that's kind of the thing. So anyways. Well, hey, man, this show was really good. I'm really excited. We had some technical difficulties. So if you guys saw a little fuzzy in there, we're sorry. We apologize. 
Go to YouTube. We are blowing up. Hit the hit the thumbs up, you guys. Our numbers are growing very fast, and we appreciate you guys hitting the thumbs up. Please continue to do that. Share our videos to everyone else. Um, thank you. What'd you say? You said iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Google Play, Google Podcast. It's Google actually Podcast. a new app, yeah. But okay, um, yep. Google. Podcast. So I hit, apologize. Hit all those. Um, hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe on those buttons as well. We thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys liked it. I was a little rough around the edges. I didn't get warmed up until we started talking about DC and you guys started. Oh, I warmed you up, up, dude. Yeah, you got me going. I got you all riled. Yeah, I was pretty riled up there. (laughs) I got to tell you, it was was horrible. Like, you guys got to break. Go If you guys didn't hear me the first time, go back and listen to the show again. I like that. This increases our numbers as well. So go back and listen to it a couple of times. Um, We thank you guys for tuning in. We thank you guys for listening to us. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, ProWrestlingTees.com slash weighing in. Cash okay. weighing then, in, and the code is podcast. There you go. Get 20% off. Awesome, man. So we have some new shirts that are up. The new shirt won't be up for what? Another yeah, day I, or two I'll or something? A couple of days. Okay, so he, uh, Podcast Dave will post that on his IG as well as our weighing in IG Instagram, which is uh, at weighing in show. Uh, follow me on The Real Punk on Instagram and on Twitter. John McCarthy MMA on Instagram yep. and Twitter as well. Yes, Podcast sir. Dave on Instagram. Podcast Dave one on Twitter. No, I took nope. one out. Remember? Just took it out. Yeah. yeah man. Will you stop changing your damn name? Well, it became available. It was available no. before, and then it became yeah. available. So yeah. I had to hop on it before. You guys wonder why I give him a hard time, but this is why. See? He can't, he, he's had like six Josh or seven Josh says he gives me a hard time. Like, honestly, like, it's hard for somebody to give you a hard time when you don't give a fuck like, about anything they say. So, you know. Whoa. When, that's why when you text me and I don't reply, it's because it's like, Whoa. who's Josh Thompson? It's like, I and, very then, and then I very rarely and then text John, him though. And then John texts me and I'm like, oh shit, I better reply. It's big John McCarthy. The, Thank you, know, you very much, The Dave. absolute legend that. of the sport. Thank you, Dave. John, you know what's I'm funny glad, though? I'm glad you responded to me. I appreciate that. Every time I text, I know that his wife has his phone, so she texts me back right away. <laughs> she's, she's already taking his phone away. He has no control of his phone, especially like if when it hits like eight, nine o'clock at night. She's like, "Give me that Gone. shit! Like, give me that shit!" He he has no control. He doesn't do anything. How, do you, how would you even? Know it's that? so funny. He's, he I want to say he posted pictures of like, "Hey, look at my house before and after." It was like, "Oh, look, the lawn's mowed. She mowed it." He didn't do it. <laughs> how, do you know? how do you know? So he ridiculous. said, "How do you? How did you know?" That's what he just said. <laughs> I'm it's so messed it's like, up. How would like? It's so how did I know? You can only you can only make stupid See, fake jokes. Scottish try jokes. And be funny. Just, they don't make funny. Okay, hey guys, we <laughs> want to thank you guys for tuning in. Now we're gonna ramble on. And we're gonna be out of here. Yep. Thank, thank you guys you for much. tuning in and take it easy. Have a good night. Bye, guys.